Boundless Spirit, pushing the limits of talk radio with Charlene Springer. Welcome to Boundless Spirit Radio with Charlene Springer, and uh, today we have a fantastic guest. Uh, we're going to learn so much in this hour. I'm really excited about it. We've got Anthony Hamilton uh, here with us, and uh, he's what you would call a personal empowerment coach and so much more. So welcome, Anthony. Yes, thank you, Charlene. Great. So it's great to have you on, and you know, for the, he, he's an author, and you know he's written the book Mind, Time, and Power, and um, you know it has. I think it comes at a really good time, just because right now people are waking up to, is this thing that I'm doing making me happy? And I guess that's a question that we always ask ourselves. And there are more and more people, either by choice or by force, uh, recognizing that they whatever they're doing in their life isn't making them happy. So people have lost jobs, people have, um, in the case of like hurricanes right now, people are getting displaced. So you've got to do what makes you happy. And this is where you would start with a book like Mind, Time, and Power. So again, Anthony, first of all, where did that name even come from? Well, the name is Mind Power. Mm -hmm. And the key to the mind power, using your thoughts as a creative force, is to understand that your mind actually is a kind of a time machine. So the, the key to understanding and using your thoughts is to understand that you are equally connected to the past and the future. And so that's where the time comes in. So it's mind power, but it's really time that is the basis of understanding everything that happens in our minds. So that's where I came up with the title Mind, Time, and Power. When you talk about time, what do you mean time in this case? How, do, how does how do you define time? Because everyone has like a little variation in their versions of time. So how do you describe time? That's right. Well, time is a field. Now, a field means you can move around in it, the same as if I walk outside. I mean, we're used to thinking of our world as a three-dimensional field. You know, I can go north, south, east, west, up or down in those dimensions and any, any combination of those. So that is a field. And if you think of a, like a magnetic field, for example, um, if I have a magnet and I have a bunch of, you know, iron filings or something on my table in front of me, and I move that magnet around, those filings are going to move too in reaction to the magnetic field. Mm -hmm. So that's the way our mind works. My, I can think of things in the past. I can think of things in the future. I can think of things that were actual events in the past, and we call that a memory. So, for example, if I remember making a cup of coffee this morning, I would call that, you know, we say that's a memory, right? So what does it mean to have a memory? Well, what it means is I'm gathering information from this point in the past when I made this cup of coffee. And I might have a visual picture of that. 
I might have um, a, some sounds with it. I can I can imagine the sound of the kettle boiling and that sort of thing. And I can I have some feelings about it. So I can remember the weight of the kettle as I was you know pouring the, the boiling water into the um, into the cup. So that is what we call memory. And everybody is used to thinking of memory as a recording. And people used to think that it was a recording someplace in the brain. And for a long time, around 50 years or so, starting in the early 50s, psychologists were looking in the brain for the place that those memories were stored. But the thing is, I can also gather information from a past that didn't happen. For example, if I imagine that while I was making my coffee this morning, I spilt the coffee and it went all down the floor spilled all down over the floor and splashed onto my pants and left a stain on my pants. Now, that didn't happen. But when I put my mind there, I would call that a possible past because it's possible that it could happen. It just it, it didn't happen today, but it could have. So I get the same kind of information. You know, I get a picture of the coffee splashing. I get I get the sound of the coffee spilling on the floor. I get the feeling of the coffee splashing on my pants and maybe me getting upset. You know, all of the information comes through just the same, even though that never happened. So what do we call this? Well, generally speaking, we don't have any words to describe it. All we talk about is memory or imagination, you know. Now, when you think about the future... I can decide, for example, I'm planning to go downtown this afternoon. I have an appointment with some people downtown. So I can think about going downtown. I can imagine myself driving downtown, meeting these people. So what do you call that? Mm. That's some, that your mind is doing something exactly the same as I was doing in the past, but now it's in the future. And so I might call that an expectation or a goal or a plan. You know, we have these nebulous kind of words that different people have different understandings of what the words mean. So essentially what I'm saying is, and this is the key to understanding time, that time is a field the same as the three-dimensional world is a field. You know, I, my mind is a part of my mind called the inner awareness Mm -hmm. which you might call your inner attention or the focus of your mind, it can move around. I can move around and I can, I can pick up information from things that did happen, which I would call memories, and I can pick up information from things that didn't happen, either positive or negative. You know, I wish this had happened or I wish that hadn't happened, you know. And in the future, I can plan something, something as simple as going to the store and buying a loaf of bread, or I can plan a trip to the Virgin Islands, for example, to visit you. Um, you know, so that's what I mean by time in the mind. You know, the mind has this ability to travel all through these various dimensions of past, present, and future possibilities. But most people don't have a way of thinking about that. So they talk about memory, and they talk about imagination. They, they use words like worry or fear. But all of those are really very nebulous kind of concepts. So people don't generally have a clear understanding of how the mind works in time. So in my book, I developed a, a model of what I call inner space time, mm -hmm. which is simply a map, like a, you know, a, like a map of your city or a map of your 
country. And it just shows that, okay, in the present is your now point. That's where I'm sitting right now. This is the, this is where my body is, you know, and I have five senses that I can pick up information from my present. You know, I can see, hear, touch, smell, taste things in the present. My present is limited. You know, I'm sitting in a room right now at home. I'm in my living room. And except for the window, if I look outside and I can see the neighborhood there across the street, my, you know, my physical senses only pick up a very limited bit of information. But in my inner awareness, my inner world, I have the same five senses. I can imagine seeing something as, it is, as I described with the coffee, you know, I I can imagine seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, feeling things. And that inner awareness moves around time, past, future. That's what we call daydreaming. Everybody knows what daydreaming is. It really doesn't have a lot of value except when you learn to control the way your inner awareness is moving that is the source of your power. That's the key to being happy. That's the key to healing your past. It's the key to designing and creating the future that you want. It's to gain some control over the focus and the movement of your inner awareness. Mm-hmm. So how does magic come to play in all of this? Magic is to understand that our thoughts become real mm-hmm. in our life. You know, um, there's something in our consciousness that creates physical matter. There was a, a psychologist. Actually, he was a, he's a philosopher at the University of uh, Toronto. And he wrote an article a few years ago. His name is Derek de Kirkov. And he wrote an article and he said the biggest revelation of this decade is going to be when people realize that their thoughts create matter. Mm. Now, that sounds pretty far-fetched, the thoughts creating matter, you know. But, of course, if you imagine somebody making, a, you know, a, a, a piece of pottery out of clay, it's clear that that, that, that piece of clay, that, that, uh, that pottery that they've made, was made because of their thoughts. You know, they're thinking about it, right? They designed it, they thought about it, and they created this. And if you just extend that... Each of us creates our lives with our thoughts, our beliefs, our expectations, our actions, perhaps inhibited by our fears and worries and things like that. So each of us really is the creator of our personal experience, and we do that using our thoughts. So magic is that process. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the process of taking something that wasn't real and making it real, like a piece of pottery, or designing a, a painting or something, you know, a, a, a painter will take something from his imagination and create a painting from it, which may eventually be worth thousands or millions of dollars and, you know, have a, have a tremendous amount of influence from something that came out of his imagination. So that's, that's an easy process to understand, you know, somebody painting a picture. But what's, what's a little more subtle is how do each of us create our lives? How do we create our health? How do we create our relationships, our our jobs, our income, that sort of thing? So magic is the process of turning your thoughts into physical reality. But to me, it's also an acronym, you know, because M-A-G-I-C, 
are what I call the five laws of success. The first law is the motivation law, which means you have to have a desire to do something. I mean, if you want to change your lifestyle, for example, you need to develop some motivation to do that. A in magic stands for attitude. So you need to have a way to analyze your attitudes, get rid of your negative attitudes, build your positive attitudes, and by working with your attitudes, then you develop some more power. The G stands for goals. Now, in order to be successful, everybody has to have a goal. If I go to the store to buy a loaf of bread, I have to know where I'm going and why I'm going there. I have to believe it's possible for me to go there and buy a loaf of bread. And when I get the loaf of bread and I come back home, that's a success. So I've had a successful experience buying the loaf of bread. Everybody can do the same thing. So G is very key. The I in magic stands for imagination. And the imagination is the connection. It's the connection between where you are now and where your inner awareness is. So when I think about making coffee this morning, I have, a, you know, there's a time and a place where I did that. And the imagination is the pipeline where the information comes in. And so when I'm thinking of the future, if I'm designing a future, if I'm anticipating a future goal, my inner awareness is in the future, let's say, a week from now when I'm planning to do something. And so the imagination is the connection. Now, most people think of the imagination kind of like a movie, you know, like when I watch TV, I'm watching a TV show and people think of the imagination as the picture on the screen. You know, we have this sort of inner mental screen and we think of the imagination as the inner mental screen. But that's not the imagination. The imagination is the connection. So, for example, mm -hmm. if I'm watching a TV show with somebody in New York City, that picture on the TV is not coming from the TV. It's coming from New York City. Mm -hmm. And the connection, which might be a cable or the Internet or something, the connection between their New York City and here, my television, our mind has a similar kind of connection, and that's called the imagination. So the imagination is the connection between now and some other place in time. And then the, um, the C in magic is consciousness. So understanding those five principles, motivation, attitude, goal setting, imagination, and consciousness. And consciousness is this process of turning our thoughts into physical form. That's the five laws of success, and that's what I call mental magic. What comes to me is Cymax. I was like, oh, this is means like a vibration of what you think can create that, that physical thing. Yeah, there's a thousand terms for this process that I'm describing. This is on it, my particular way of describing it. Um, but, you know, of course, I gathered information from a whole bunch mm -hmm. of self-help mm -hmm. books and workshops studying, you know, ancient um, Indian philosophy and that sort of thing. So it's, a, you know, what I've done is put together a system that's my system, but of course, I've taken little bits from mm -hmm. here and from there and mm -hmm. uh, 
I'm not, I'm not claiming that I'm the only person that talks about this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was just saying that's what it triggered for me. Exactly. Uh, what, what, uh, you took a lot of information actually from Einstein. You followed Einstein's physics. So do you want to talk about that? Like, first of all, what influenced you to go that way? Well, my whole, my, my journey started when I was 10 years old. Wow. I had a dream in which I saw my future in advance. And so what happened was I was playing with some friends. We were swinging on a rope that was attached to a tree, and my hands slipped off, and I fell, and I landed on the ground, knocked myself out, knocked the wind out of myself, you know. And in that, in that moment, I had this experience. And again, there's many different words that people might use to describe this experience. But for me, I I felt and experienced as though I was in like a helicopter or something looking down at myself mm. and I had a feeling that I was about 32 years old. Mm. So I could I could see myself at 32. So I knew what my life was going to be about. I knew that I was going to be writing, I was going to be teaching, I was going to be a university professor. I knew I was going to be married to an oriental woman. I knew I was going to be writing books and teaching people how to live happier and more successful lives. So that happened in a flash. And this was like a flash of insight, or you might call it an epiphany. You know, there's different words we have for it. You might call it a precognition, precognitive dream, out-of-body experience. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different words, all of which people understand and Differently, you know, but for me, it was this experience of looking down at my life at the age of 32. So for me, I felt immediately that this was a special kind of an event. I mean, this was not just some fantasy or some dream, you know. This to me felt like it was a real glimpse of my future. So at the age of 10 or 11, around about that time, I started to investigate how is it possible to get information from the future? Mm. And so I looked in the Bible. There's prophets in there. You know, they can read the future. So I thought, well, that's fine, but I'm not a prophet, you know. <laughs> and uh, then I read about Nostradamus, you know, <laughs> a few hundred years ago, predicting everything, even up to the present day. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's nice, but I'm not, I'm not Nostradamus or I'm not a psychic, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I had always felt that this experience that I had was very normal, that other people must have them too, but they just don't notice them, you know, where for me it was very vivid. So trying to find an answer to this question, how is it possible to get information from the future, eventually led me to reading physics and Albert Einstein. And when I eventually went to university, I studied the, you know, the philosophy of space and time which I wouldn't necessarily recommend anybody read. It's pretty complicated. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, the idea that Einstein made popular is the idea that there is no time and there is no space. There's one thing called space-time. Mm. And he said that the laws of space and the laws of time mirror each other. So I thought, well, okay, um, so if the laws of time and the laws of space are the same or similar, what's true about space? And I thought, well, one of the things that's true about space is that information passes through it. You know, here's me now, we're talking, and the information from Victoria, B.C. is going to the 
Virgin Islands and vice versa. So when <clears throat> when you make a telephone call, <clears throat> excuse me, when you when you make a telephone call, information passes from one place to another, right? So I thought, okay, well, if information moves through space, then maybe information moves through time as well. And so that was the first bit of insight that I got. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, and I realized that memory is not a recording. Mm. It's a connection. So if we think of memory as a connection, then suddenly it seems to make a little more sense that I can remember things that never happened, you know, or I can perhaps combine two memories into one and, and, I'll, and we call that, you know, confusion or a false memory or something. Well, if memory is a connection, then memory is really just a kind of thinking. So maybe it works in the future, too. Well, I was also studying the principles of success, because if you remember when I said I saw that vision of myself in the future, I was teaching people about how to be happy and successful. So I was reading all these self-help books, you know, The Power of the Mind and The Law of Attraction and uh, Think and Grow Rich and The Power of the Subconscious Mind and all these sort of classic self-help books. And so one of the things that I realized was there's a, a whole bunch of principles of success. You know, there's persistence and perseverance and motivation and positive thinking and all these different kinds of things. Jack Canfield, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, in one of his books called The Success Principles, I think he describes 120 principles of success. So there's lots of them, you know. But I thought if there's one that's the most important one, what is it? Well, it's obvious. It's you have to have a goal. None of the other principles work if you don't have a goal. And I thought, what is a goal? The goal is in the future. What if having a goal triggers your mind to connect with the future in a way that makes you remember the future? So this is what I started talking about in the early 80s when I finally made this connection, and I called it the mind-time connection. And I started talking about the fact that you have information from the future as well as information from the past. And the key to using your future memory is to have a goal, to have a, maybe a series of goals, you know, to have, a, to have an impression, a picture of what you want to create for yourself, whether it's as simple as buying a loaf of bread in the grocery store or designing a new career for yourself. So that came right from Einstein, you know, the idea that information travels through time and that what we call a goal is a kind of future memory. Now, I started talking about this and doing workshops and things in this in around 1980. Well, much to my surprise, in the mid-90s, around 1995, using something called a functional MRI, some of the leading researchers in memory who were using a functional MRI to look inside people's brains as they were remembering, they were studying memory. One of them is a, uh, a fellow named uh, Dr. En uh, Endel Tolving. He was a professor at uh, U of T and also Harvard University. And he was using an MRI to look inside people's brains as they were remembering. <clears throat> so he would give them some memory tests. You know, he would say, uh, here's a list of 10 words. So you remember these 10 words, and then we'll, we'll ask you what the words are. 
And while the people were doing these memory tests, he was looking at their brains in this MRI. So he became very aware of what memory looks like in the brain. He knew by looking at the computer, oh, this person is remembering, right? Mm -hmm. And then he would say to the person, okay, take a break now. We're going to do another test in a few minutes. But um, you just relax there and, um, and take, a, you know, take a deep breath and we'll get back to the next test. So he's looking in the MRI and he says, oh, this person is remembering something because he could see the signal, you know, in the, on the screen. So when he went back to the, to the um, person who was having the test, he said to them, a couple of minutes ago there when I told you to relax, what were you thinking about? And the person said, oh, I have a dinner party coming up next week and I'm organizing this dinner party. And I was thinking about that, you know, because we have to put together some furniture invite some people to come to this dinner party. So that was the first idea that Endel Tolving had to say, whatever memory is, it works in the future the same as it works in the past. So this was 1995, approximately. <clears throat> and this researcher, world-renowned, everybody in psychology probably has heard of Endel Tolving. Mm -hmm. He coined this term, future memory, to say that memory works in the future the same as in the past. And now scientists all over the world, psychologists all over the world, are working on what they call trying to figure out what they call mental time travel. Because now it's recognized that whatever it is that the mind is doing when we're thinking, it's traveling in time. Hmm. Now that's, so then what... Uh -huh, go ahead. No, just because it sounds spooky. <laughs> but of course, as soon as you think about it, you go, well, of course, that makes perfect sense, you know, because everybody recognizes what uh, daydreaming is. You know, you're thinking about last week, next week, last month, next month, the old girlfriend, the new car you're going to buy, the next job interview you've got. Your mind is all over the map, all over the map in time, right? So everybody recognizes that their mind is jumping all over the place, but they've never called it mental time travel until quite recently. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so what do you say to like when people have what they call, consider monkey mind, where the mind just keeps going and going and going and not really on to anything? It's just a lot of things, a lot of information, everything you have to do, every list, every comment. What do you say to people like that? And what do you do in this case? And how would you teach, apply to any of this? Yeah, well, it's clear that, uh, you know, having the monkey mind, of course, then the, then the imagination is in control, right? I mean, the mind is jumping all over the place. It has, it, it has control. And so from that, from that standpoint, uh, we don't have any power, you know. We're actually reacting to where our mind is. So if we're thinking about all the problems that might happen next week, we can call that worry, you know. So we're reacting to where our mind is. You know, this could happen, this could happen. Ooh, wouldn't it be terrible if that happened? You know, oh, my God, I hope that doesn't happen. So our mind is jumping all over the place, and we're reacting to it. But once we gain some awareness of what our inner awareness is doing, you know, the inner focus of our mind, and we say, okay, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about what I want to happen.
I want this to happen. And if this other thing that I don't want happens to take place, well, I'll just deal with it then. You know, I'll have some some plan to deal with it if it happens. But what I want to happen is A, not B, you know. So I'm going to think about A, and I'm going to expect A. And so learning how to focus on A, that is where the skill comes in, learning what it is that you want to think about and how you want to think about it. And probably the, um, the term that people are most familiar with in terms of developing this skill is meditation. Mm, mm -hmm. And so the person who was most responsible for developing our uh, scientific study of meditation is the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. Because the Dalai Lama comes from, you know, thousands of years lineage of meditation. And he was the person who stimulated the research into looking at the mind or the brains of meditators with this functional MRI that they were using to study memory, right? Mm -hmm. Because he always said he thought the brains of meditators were different. Now, you have to understand, this is in the 1970s and 1980s when he started this conversation with Western scientists. And everybody thought he was nuts, you know. Like, what are you talking about? The brains are different. The brains don't change because of how you think. You know, how you think depends on the brain. The brain doesn't depend on how you think. Well, the Dalai Lama said, well, let's look. You know, let's have a look. <laughs> so it took about 20 years from the mid-70s until the mid-90s when they had the scientists seriously looking, again, using this functional MRI to look at the brains of meditators. And what they realized was, huge shock in the world of medicine and psychology, what they realized is, guess what? The brains of meditators are different in very specific ways. And this discovery has now expanded to be called neuroplasticity. And what they realize now is that how you think and what you think actually has an effect on the brain. So hmm. you're thinking actually changes the brain. <clears throat> now, it doesn't change the brain instantly. It takes a little time. If you can imagine, the, you know, the perfect analogy is exercising your muscles. If you start lifting weights because you want to build your muscles, it doesn't happen the first day, you know. You have to go to the gym, let's say, and exercise, and after a period of weeks or months, you will start to notice some very definite and perhaps permanent changes in your muscles. But if you just do it two or three times, it's not going to have much of an effect. Mm -hmm. So it's exactly the same thing with the brain, you know. Now they realize that meditation and planning, thinking, learning. I mean, I was just talking to my granddaughter the other day. She just turned eight. And so we had a Skype conversation, you know, the same as we're having one now. And... Um, you know, we were we were talking on the computer, and she's learning the times tables. So what what we now know is that when she's learning the times tables, and she repeats, you know, two times two is four, mm -hmm. two times three is six, she's actually changing her brain mm -hmm. because she's focusing on something over and over and over again, and in a matter of weeks, that 
will start to become an automatic memory in her brain. It'll change her brain. And when she anytime thinks in the future, you know, what's two times two, she'll say, oh, it's four, you know. And she'll know that because her brain will have encoded that information into its brain itself. Mm -hmm. So what happens when people cannot retain that information? Because there are people that do the same repetitive thing and then it just doesn't stay. Well, it takes a certain time for it to stick, you know, um, and everybody who has ever practiced meditation, you know, they would have this experience of, you know, at first it's very difficult. I mean, they can't keep their mind still. Mm-hmm. But uh, eventually, you know, if they take a meditation class, let's say, and they practice, you know, 20 minutes or something every day, then over a period of days and weeks and months, they gain some control over their mind. And now what they realize is that it's because their brains are actually changing. And so anybody who has tried to learn a foreign language has experienced this. I mean, we've all experienced it in a way because we've all learned different things. You know, playing Mm -hmm. the piano is a good example. I mean, at first it's difficult, and then later it's automatic, you know. And so when I teach people, for example, um, law of attraction systems, you know, teaching people to create more of what they want using the law of attraction, I believe exactly the same process is taking place. You know, first of all, they, you know, they don't have what they want, right? I want a new car, for example. I can't imagine how I can afford a new car. So they start thinking, you know, okay, I see myself with this car. I'm telling myself I now have this new car. They go to the dealership, perhaps. They take a picture of themselves sitting in a car like that to help them visualize, you know, and they talk to the dealers. They find out how how much it's going to cost and where can I get a car. And they look in the newspaper, you know, um, used car sales or maybe new car sales, whatever. And if they persist, eventually they get to the place where they will notice people selling these cars. They'll see the cars for sale, you know. And the next thing, you know, if they persist is they'll end up with this car, you know. And suddenly now they have the car that they wanted. They have the car they wanted. And it's because they persisted in looking for it. And it says in the Bible, you know, seek and you shall find. So when I talk about changing the brain, it's really a subtle experience to have it happen because when you change your thinking and that affects your brain, it also affects all of your outer senses as well as your inner senses. So you will see opportunities for getting that new car, for example, that you never thought of before. You know, you'll 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 hear people talking about these cars when you're in a crowded restaurant. Somebody mentions, oh, the Chevrolet. Oops, you know, <laughs> I got a cousin who wants to sell his car. You go, Whoop, what's that? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so all of your senses are shifted in the direction of finding that car because that's what your intention is. So the intention, as well as persistence, what they've now discovered, those are the keys to changing the brain, to to creating these new pathways in the brain. And now they can measure them, right? So it's intention and persistence over time that does it. And the time is really, depending on what we're talking about, um, just a matter of weeks. And they can measure the changes in your brain. Mm. That's cool. So then how do you do the past? Could you talk about changing the past? Yeah, that's that that's something that freaks everybody out, you know, ah. changing the past. 
Everybody wants to change the past, but how can you do it? (laughs) The thing is, the past is changing all the time anyway. We just don't notice it, you know. Um, Mark Twain said, you know, when he was a teenager, he thought his father was the stupidest man on earth. (laughs) When he got to be 35, you couldn't believe how smart his father was, you know. And so um, it's true for all of us, right? Like, we get fired from a job, which has happened to a number of us, including me, you know, and it's a tragedy, right? Oh, no. What happened? I'm insulted. I'm hurt. I'm depressed. You know, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. And then in a, in, in a little while, we might start to look around and find a better job. And then we look back at that situation and we go, you know, actually, I'm glad that I got fired from that job because it forced me to smarten up. It forced me to set some goals and find something better. And now my self-esteem is higher and I feel better about it. I feel more powerful. I feel actually lucky that I got fired from that job. So that event, getting fired, which might have happened a year ago or two years ago, you know, it suddenly changed. It was a negative event. Now it's a positive event. So when I talk about changing the past, I'm not talking about changing the physical past because that doesn't change. That's physical, right? You still got fired, you know. Uh, but what's changed is everything else. It's the feelings. It's the uh, meaning of it. It's what it means to you. It's how it makes you feel about yourself and the world. Before you felt unlucky, now you feel lucky that you got fired. You know. So taking that approach, you can take any experience in your life that you call negative. And, and just simply by learning how to look at it, and ask yourself some simple questions like, why is it that this is a positive experience? Or how could this experience actually be a benefit to me? What can I learn from this that will help me? You'll get answers to all those questions. And if you do it systematically, then you will find that you can shape the past. You can change the past in ways that make you feel good about what's happened as opposed to feeling bad about it. Mm-hmm. So you mean this isn't changing the past like the Mandela effect kind of thing, is it? <laughs> well, it's changing your past because your past is really what 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 it means to you and and how you represent it to yourself. You know, I mean, it's the it's the it's the old thing about is the glass half full or half empty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you if you feel that that past experience was positive and lucky, then it's a positive and lucky event, right? Even though at the time it seemed to you that it was it was a tragedy, it was a negative event. How does um, like if again you're looking at law of attraction with this? Um, where does the now fit in? Because you know, as you say, in the present, in the the space of now, it's limited. But yeah, you you know you can go off there. So. Your teachings are a little bit different than what some others teach about the present moment where that is where the power is. So what are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, the present moment, of course, is where your power is because it's only in the present that you can make a decision, right? Mm -hmm. For example, if I decide to re-examine this negative event in my past, uh, that's a decision, you know, to re-examine it. And if I ask myself some questions like how, why was it positive for me? Why, why is it actually not a negative experience, but a positive experience? You'll get some answers. So all of that occurs in the present. 
So it's your it's your present where the power is. The present is the as they call it the point of power, right? You can change the past from the present. You can't change it back then. I mean, you can't. You know, when when you're in the middle of being fired, it's not it's not suddenly going to be a positive experience for you. It's still negative. You're going to be angry, frustrated, and whatever it might be. But over time, you know, uh, it can happen by itself that it'll change, and your your perspective on it will change. Or you can do it systematically by asking some questions, like I like I described. And of course, this is what. This is what a lot of therapy is about, right? I mean, mm-hmm, it's, about, mm-hmm. it's about changing the way we look at things. And if we if we feel lucky, if we see ourselves as lucky people, if we feel that we are the benefit of our past, then, of course, that's what's true for us. And we're not going to be able to change anybody else's mind, perhaps, but we can certainly change ours, which is really what it comes down to. It's how do you feel about your life and how do you feel about your power and your self and your self-esteem, you know, do you feel lucky or do you feel unlucky? And it's funny because this is what what, um, what Einstein said, you know, one of his, one of his quotes, and of course his quotes are all over the internet, but one of the ones of his that I like the most is um, he says, there's only one real important question. And that is, is the world friendly or unfriendly? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So now, um, when you look at, from your body of work, when you look at this, do you see patterns as far as, as is all this about, okay, having a negative experience and turning it into a positive experience in the long run in the future? Is this like an ebb and flow type thing or just I have a different perspective? Yeah, well, what I've learned over time, and and we can talk about happiness and and success later, because I know you're interested in those two topics too, but um, oftentimes what it comes down to is is learning to change your perspective. So, for example, um, if, um, with, if I were to give you a word, in order for you to understand that word, you need to be able to represent it to yourself. If you can't represent it, then you don't know what it is, you know. So, for example, if I say sailboat, Mm-hmm. Well, mm. <laughs> right? I'm sure there's lots of sailboats where you are. Yeah. There's actually lots of sailboats where I am too. Yeah. And so, so you get a picture perhaps of a sailboat, right? I, I mean, you might remember being on a friend's boat or maybe on your own boat. Yeah. And so depending on your experience of that, you know, you might have feelings and sounds and emotions come to you. And so that's sailboat, right? So if I'm talking to you about, oh, I just bought a new sailboat, you know, and you go, ooh, <laughs> that's <laughs> exciting, right? And you have all these feelings and things. And I say, yeah, it's about 10 inches long, uh-huh. and it's in this bottle. And you go, oh, oh, well, just, <laughs> oh, I was thinking of a different sailboat, right? Yeah. So, so, so that's exactly what happens to us literally every moment of our life, you know. We hear a word or we think a thought and it triggers all kinds of reactions in us. And oftentimes, if those reactions are negative and we take the time to examine it, we'll realize later that, oh, I was, I was thinking of something else. It was a miscommunication, right? Mm. It, was, it, was, it was a misunderstanding. So, so that's oftentimes where the problem lies. It's like, Oh, I didn't know you meant that. I thought you meant this, right? And 
That's where the problem comes in. And that's where the healing comes in, too. Right? That's where the healing comes in. So, I thought it was like the English language is being having so many different uh, words for the same thing. That's true, but other languages are the same, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, so, for example, um, it comes down... So, so, so I've studied philosophy and religion and linguistics, right? So I'm a linguist. I have a degree in linguistics, and so um, language I find is very is is very fascinating. It's really a kind of a mirror of what our thinking is, you know. Mm. And so, by changing a word, you can change the experience, change the feeling, you know. And I remember taking a uh, a course in mind power years ago. I've taken a lot of them, but <laughs> but this was one particular one. And this and this person said. There's no such thing as a problem. No, you, you don't have any problems. He said, all you have are opportunities. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whatever you call a problem is an opportunity. So stop using the word problem and start using the word opportunity. Well, I did that. You know, I, I took that lesson to heart. I thought it was an amazing idea. And so what happens now is if I, if, if something comes up for me, as a matter of fact, I did it this morning. <laughs> um, I misplaced something, and so I thought it was a problem, and I said, wait a second, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. Now, why is it an opportunity? Well, it's an opportunity because of this and this and this, you know. So immediately, my feelings changed. I didn't, I didn't feel so frustrated with myself. And... Um, once you do that, and once you, and again, here we go with the same story, the same answer, right? Over time, systematically, repetition, right? If you start looking at your problems as opportunities, pretty soon, I believe, what happens is your brain will change. Mm -hmm. The meaning, the meaning will change. Your perception of your life will change. and You will see yourself surrounded by opportunities. Now, when you're surrounded by opportunities, that's a whole different situation than being surrounded by problems. <laughs> right? So and you mean it's not sitting there just chanting, um, you know, I'm going to think positive or doing 10 million mantras? Well, that's a part of it. You know, I mean, if that's if that's what you like to do, if that works for you, then go ahead. You know, and I've certainly I've, I've been a meditator now for, you know, 35 or 40 years and I love meditation, but. Uh, you know, what I call meditation might be different from what other people call it, but mm-hmm. certainly, certainly it's like a systematic approach to designing and creating your life, you know. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm very big on metaphors mm-hmm. and examples, you know, because an example or a metaphor is like a picture that changes things. Like when, you know, the glass is half full or half empty. I mean, everybody can understand that, right? And, it, you know, other people say, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Well, so is ugly. <laughs> and so and so is problem, right? The problem is in the eye of the beholder. Well, if, if the beholder beholds it as an opportunity, is it the same problem? Now, I was listening to a, a talk the other day by a, a, a very famous quantum physicist. And he was saying that what they've discovered with quantum physics is that the act of observing something changes it. Changes it, it yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Isn't that interesting, right? It changes it. So if you see the glass as half full, 
Whereas before you saw it as half empty, or if you see something as an opportunity, whereas before you saw it as a problem, that changes things, right? <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes it can change your life. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. So is this where personal power yes, would come that's in? That's right. So the power to change the way you're looking at something, the power to change your focus the power to think of A rather than B, um, that's where the power is. And, of course, everybody has that power, but not a lot of us exercise it, um, the same as we don't exercise going to the gym all the time. Some people do, you know, other people don't. And people that go to the gym on a regular basis, you can spot them a mile away. You know, they come walking down the street, and you can say, hey, you know, that person's in good shape, right? But it's true. It's also true for a person that's positive. You know, you can see a positive person a block away, and you can see that person looks like he's in a good mood, right? Whereas a negative person, same thing. You know, somebody who's worried, somebody who's fearful, somebody who's depressed. I mean, you can spot that, right? So it changes everything. It changes your mind. It changes your body. It changes your circumstances. It changes your life. So one of the metaphors that I like to use is I see myself as a gardener. And my life is my garden. So let that sink in for a second. Everybody, everybody has a life. They have a physical life, physical health, right? They have relationships. They have finances. They have a spiritual side. You know, they have an emotional side. And each area of their life can be cultivated. They can take what's there right now and they can systematically start getting rid of the weeds and planting some flowers there or planting some vegetables, you know. And systematically over a period of time, each of us has the power to radically transform the quality of our life the same as we we can radically transform the quality of a piece of ground just by removing the weeds and the rocks and the sticks and the stones and things and cultivating a more positive environment, we can transform that piece of property into a botanical masterpiece. Every botanical garden that you go to in the world started out as a pile of weeds and rocks and sticks, you know. And so if we looked at somebody, if... If there was a person who looked across the street at their neighbor and said, look at that person, they're so lucky. They got such a beautiful manicured lawn. How come they're so lucky? And I got this pile of weeds and sticks and stones here. Of course, we'd say that person's silly, right? I mean, the reason the person across the road has such a nice piece of property is because they've cultivated it. And that's the same with our life, you know. People that have good relationships are people that cultivate good relationships. People that are happy cultivate happiness. People that are positive thinkers cultivate positive thinking. People that are calm and relaxed are probably cultivating, you know, their mind. They're probably meditating or they have some kind of a process where they are working with themselves and developing more more positive attitudes. So all of those things can be cultivated and as we, and again, you know, it's simply a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to start today. I'm going to start today to cultivate my life. I'm going to cultivate my thoughts. I'm going to cultivate my attitudes. 
and again, this is where these, you know, these five laws of success come in, becoming more motivated, you know, magic, cultivate more motivation. Why do I want a better life? You know, what's the payoff? Cultivate my attitudes. Do I have any attitudes that I think I should get rid of or maybe diminish? And do I know of any attitudes, either in myself or other people, that I'd like to strengthen? And what about goals? You know, do I have goals? Well, in my experience, from the research I've done, only about 3% of the population actively cultivate their goals. 3%. And those are the 3% that are successful in business, in finance, in life, you know, athletes. I mean, they pursue their 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 goals every day, right? Imagination. Cultivate the use of your imagination. I would suggest all of our listeners here today take a meditation course, you know, buy a meditation CD. I've got meditation CDs as a part of my program, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, nobody uses CDs well, that's anymore. What I, was, I was just about to it's say that. I was told by a millennium well, <laughs> no one uses CDs anymore. What's a CD? <laughs> What's a CD? But, you know, the idea of listening to a recording with some nice music on it and somebody's voice saying, you know, relax, take a deep breath. There you are know. apps for that now. <laughs> It's everything, right? It's so present. I mean, I've got apps on my phone. I mean, my phone literally is like a is like a key to the almost the entire universe, right? I have things on there that I can plug into, and I listen to my phone all the time. I've got you know meditations yeah, yeah. and things on there. Yeah. So that's what it takes, right? It's just it's just each person to sort of say, okay, I'm ready to improve my life. Where can I begin? Well, I'm going to begin today. And I'm going to begin here. I'm going to just improve this thing, you know. <clears throat> hmm. And if they do that, then it makes a difference. Great. If they do great. it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day, then, the, you know, the difference gets gets bigger. That's one of the things that you offer. You offer actually uh, are a certified uh, law of attraction coach. And um, so you can help people with this process. Who would come to you for this? Well, basically, people who are um, oftentimes confused or frustrated, you know, or who want something specific, they might want to to attract a relationship, or they might want to attract a new job, you know, or they may want to lose weight, or maybe gain weight, it's possible. Um, so generally speaking, people have some, and, and usually it's kind of a vague notion of what they want, you know, it's, it's difficult for them to articulate what it is they want. So part of the process would be for me to ask them, what is it that they want? And, you know, guide them by asking some questions. Well, what do you want physically? You know, what do you want in terms of health? Do you want to lose weight, gain weight, more energy? Do you want more, more stamina, you know, um, so simply by asking and answering a series of questions like that, people can get more and more and more clear about what it is that they want. And um, so it's, I mean, none of this is, is mysterious. We all do it every day, really. You know, like, what do you want for dinner tonight? Well, let's see what's in the fridge, you know. <laughs> we got fish, we got chicken, what would you like, you know. So, um it's the same process because we're all human. We all have the same mind and our minds work the same. Some of them are cultivated and some of them aren't cultivated. The same as a piece of ground can have flowers on it or have weeds on it or rocks, depending on what has happened, number one, by accident, and number two, by design. 
right? Mm -hmm. So there's accident and design. I mean, you know. What's the difference? Well, what's what's the difference is design you can control. Mm. Accidents you can't necessarily control. I mean, if dandelion seeds happen to blow onto your lawn, you're going to have to deal with those, you know, because they're in the air. And, you know, that's a that's principle. That's an idea that I learned from reading ancient Buddhism, you know, like Buddhist texts from thousands of years ago. That's how they talk about it, you know. They say that, you know, certain seeds blow in, and if the conditions are right, they take root and they grow, and they develop into maybe a full-blown plant or a tree, right? Um, other or seeds, a weed. <laughs> or a weed, yeah. And other, other seeds blow in, and if they don't take root, then basically there's no effect. So um, if, if certain things trigger us, then it's going to have an effect on us. But if it doesn't trigger us, then it doesn't have any effect, right? Mm -hmm. So all of, all of our lives are a product of things that have happened to us, and decisions that we've made to cultivate certain areas of our life. Mm. Yeah, that's funny. I now I really see the garden. <laughs> it's yeah. very clear. Well, the idea of the master gardener. That's that's you know one of the key themes in my book, and uh, and that's a brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. You know, I used mm. to be a gardener, as a matter of fact. So um, I used to work as a landscape gardener. So I had lots of experience with that. But when I started using that as a metaphor. Of course, I found it was very, very fertile ground for uh, <laughs> for learning, you know, pruning and weeding and shaping and watering and fertilizing, you know, all those things. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So um, what's the website that people can get more information on you? MindTimeAndPower.com. That's my main website. People can contact me through there. They can order my book. My book is available worldwide on Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, they can get like a Kindle edition, or they can get the uh, you know they can get the paperback version of Mind, Time, and Power. And um, there's also a couple of other programs that they can access through that website. I have a program I call Cracking the Success Code which is an audio program that they can access. And there's another program called Change Your Life in Five Simple Steps. And you know what the steps are, right? Magic. <laughs> Absolutely. M-A-G-I-C. That's it, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's also a, they can, they can take a free Mind Power course. I have a free 10-session, one-month Mind Power training course that they can sign up for and get free delivered to them through their email mm -hmm. and because of technology now you know it's so magical right i mean here we are talking over the internet and um so if people go to my website you know mindtimeandpower.com and uh they click on that link for the free free one month course mm -hmm. they put in their email address and it gets delivered to them by email automatically and in the emails of course there's links so they click on the link and it'll take them to YouTube where there's a video or there might be a meditation exercise and it's all done automatically through the email. So that's something uh, that a lot of people, I mean, literally worldwide have connected with me through that free one month mind power training course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you've got um, a few other workshops coming up too, right, this year? Yes, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing some talks in the fall here, in uh, starting in just a couple of weeks, actually. Mm -hmm. um, the art and science of mental time travel. Mm -hmm. 
Because, of course, there's a science to it, as I mentioned, you know, the MRI and the psychologists now looking inside the brain and discovering that thinking works in the future and the past, you know. Um, and um, so there's science to it, but there's an art to it, as we've talked about in this in this conversation so far. You know, I mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. people can tell by you know listening to the questions you're asking and the answers I'm giving that uh, even though it's uh, it's relatively uh, straightforward, you know, the same as learning how to jog or learning how to play golf is straightforward. You know, you pick up a club and you get a ball and you start hitting it around. <laughs> um, it takes time. It takes practice. The more you do it, the better you get. And, uh, of course, it uh, should be enjoyable. And it is enjoyable, you know, listening to some nice music and closing your eyes and, and making a list of what I call past successes. Mm -hmm. These are things in the past that you've done successfully that make you feel good, you know. So it could be learning to speak a foreign language, learning to sail, learning to swim, learning to windsurf, you know, um, graduating from high school, starting a business, buying a new car, attracting a loving relationship, uh, losing 10 pounds. You know, these are past successes. And so the key, one of the key ideas, and it is kind of a radical idea, I guess, to some people in my, in my model of consciousness that I mm -hmm. talk about in the book, is the fact that the past hasn't gone anywhere. You know, it's still there. Mm -hmm. You know, people say, well, the past is finished. You know, it's gone. It doesn't mean anything. Well, when did the past end? Uh, just now. <laughs> now it's, it's, it's the past. So really, people are discounting their entire lives. They're saying, you know, my life doesn't mean anything. Well, of course, that's not true. Every, everything that has ever happened to us in our lives, we have access to it through the pipeline of our imagination. I can remember when I was 10 years old having that dream, you know. Mm -hmm. I remember going to high school. I can remember having bad experiences in my life and, you know, hopefully learning from them. And I can anticipate the future. I have plans to go to Asia next year and, and do some speaking in, in Hawaii. So, you know, all of these things are, um, in a sense, they're available to me now through my imagination. So when you talk about the... Um, the now being the uh, point of power, mm -hmm. what I've found is that the now can grow. Mm. I'm, I'm much more aware of my past now because I have a list of past successes that contains hundreds of things on it. And I'm sure you can appreciate that if, if I just sit down, you know, with, with a piece of music for five minutes and meditate or remember one of those positive past experiences, it might have been something from 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago it still makes me feel good. Mm. And when I anticipate going to Hawaii and doing some lecturing in Hawaii, you know, I, I imagine going to the beach and relaxing in the sun and drinking Mai Tais and things like that. I feel good too. So there's lots of things in the past and in the future that can feed me positive information, the same as the monkey mind, if I'm not careful, can bring in negative information depending on my, on my mood, you know. So what would you say in summary of all this? Well, I would say that we can cultivate the skill of using our imagination, using our inner awareness to cultivate positive feelings about the past, design a positive future for ourselves, 
and systematically, step by step, the same as cultivating a piece of ground, we can produce a more enjoyable, happier, pleasant life for ourselves, starting today. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on with us today. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you're going to talk about in the Woo Hour. This is going to be interesting, Thanks. as usual. <laughs> so, um, again, um, I'd like to thank Anthony Hamilton for being on with us. And uh, we'll see you next time. You're listening to Boundless Spirit Radio with Charlene Springer. Take care. Boundless Spirit goes off the rails. Next up in our members-only segment, the Woo Woo Hour. Whether it's happening on the planet, off the planet, or inside the planet, host Charlene Springer, expert guests, and you dare to go there in the Woo Woo Hour. <laughs>